Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about the stewardship of Indiana's woodlands. Joining us in the studio, joining me in the studio, Mary Catherine Carmichael couldn't be with us today, but joining me in the studio are uh, three people, uh, Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, Tim Maloney is here, um, the Wildlife Specialist, a Wildlife Specialist for the Division of Forestry, Scott Holton is here, and also Christina Glasser, Glasser mm-hmm. is here. She's an economist and co-founder of Greenfire Consulting. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And welcome to all of you. Thank Thanks you. for being Thank here. You. I know from uh, you know my time at the newspaper, which has been quite a long time now, that uh, issues involving Indiana forests are, bring up a lot of pretty strong passions. It's a it's an issue one of the one of the big issues that we write about every year, and there are a lot of people that are very committed to uh, to, to Indiana's forests and Indiana's uh, woodlands and, and what's going to happen to them. So hopefully we'll get lots of calls and lots of emails today as we discuss these topics. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is just sort of set the I guess set the cast of characters here and talk about your organizations. Uh, Tim, could you talk a little bit about the Hoosier Environmental Council? Uh, sure, Bob. The Hoosier Environmental Council has um, been around for 25 years. We're a statewide nonprofit um, environmental uh, education and advocacy and research organization and um, work on the really the full range of environmental and energy uh, topics for Indiana, promoting um, uh, stronger air quality standards, uh, improved water quality standards, protection of our our wild places, uh, promoting clean energy uh, sources and um, more sensible transportation policies. And and we do that work throughout Indiana uh, in front of state agencies, the state legislature, uh, county commissions, um, and local communities. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty long agenda and it's probably getting longer with the way uh, a lot of focus is um, sort of intensified on, on issues of energy and the environment lately. Yes, definitely. So we have a lot to do. Uh, Christina, how about Greenfire Consulting? Greenfire Consulting Group um, is a group that um, tries to, you could say, put economic wisdom into decision making. Mm-hmm. And we start on the premise, and it's our mission to show that when you protect the environment and protect resources, that this can actually have significant economic benefits. And we were just recently commissioned to do a study on the Wayne National Forest in Ohio. And the theme was um, an economic analysis of that plan, and we're asked to compare the benefits and the costs that come from it. Um, Just shortly after that, we were asked by the Indiana Forest Alliance to uh, comment on the so-called environmental assessment for the Indiana State Forest. Mm -hmm. And um, in both cases, we came to the conclusion that the economic benefits um, that come from those plans are not out are outweighed by the costs that mm-hmm. these uh, plans generate. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we can get into some of those mm-hmm. specifics in in a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask Scott about the uh, Division of Forestry. Uh, you're with the Department of Natural Resources, I assume. The, yeah, yeah. The, the Division of Forestry the, is is uh, with the Department of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. And and so, what is your uh, main responsibility? My my main responsibility is I'm the the wildlife specialist with the division. Uh, and I coordinate the wildlife habitat management, uh, forest wildlife habitat management program. Um, we'll be developing, develop, developing that program. It's a, it's a new position, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm new to it, and uh, we're currently in the process of developing the program to, to monitor wildlife habitat availability and suitability uh, on our state forest lands in particular and to provide information for uh, forest landholders uh, throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also um, work on our hardwood ecosystem research project uh, with a number of universities and, and researchers uh, throughout the Midwest, and we're looking at uh, uh, some of the different ecological issues associated with uh, timber harvesting and, and forest management in general uh, in this uh, hardwood ecosystem. Okay. We, there are a lot of places I want to follow up, but we've got a phone call already, and, and I think it will be a busy day today. But let's go to Fred on the phone first. Fred? Yes, sir. 
Uh, I'd like to, aside from uh, uh, habitation for wildlife, uh, it, it seems like to me that the coyotes are the biggest problem as far as, uh, well, we don't have near the uh, bob whites we used to have or the or the rabbits, or and uh, it just seems like it's an off-balance nature the coyotes are causing. They're not native to this part of the country anyway. I think they just ought to be removed as much as possible, call it, put a bounty on them or something, because, uh, well, they, they get, they even get, uh, my cousin had some dogs, they even run off of one of those. They come in and get them, and they're just, I think that they're causing a lot of problems with the wildlife around here. They don't hardly ever hear any groundhogs anymore. Uh, they get, uh, I think they're just doing a lot of damage to the other wildlife here in Indiana. The predators are getting out of hand. Scott, seems like a question for you. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, coyote issue is, is it's one small symptom of a, of a very large issue. Uh, it's no secret that land use in Indiana has changed. And uh, in the last 200 years, uh, a lot of people don't know, but uh, Indiana, uh, at one point it was estimated it was 85 percent forested. And so you can see that there's quite a difference now when uh, it's uh, we're barely getting it about 20% forested. So there's been a lot of changes, um, and uh, a lot of that is at the species level too. We have species like coyotes, coyotes that are uh, acting as top predators um, that uh, uh, in, in a in a ecosystem that no longer has any other top predators, um, and that has effects on all kinds of other native species and, and native wildlife as well. So, uh, it, seems, it just seems to me like it would be better just to control them by hunting instead of letting the coyote just eat them up uh, alive or whatever, you know. It's just, it's just The way coyotes go about killing something is just it's pretty inhumane if you ever, you know, it's always on these nature shows on TV. It shows a coyote with a bunch of little pups and they, you know, how cute they are and those things cause a lot of damage in this area. And uh, it's my own opinion that they, well, it's not just my own, it's a lot of other people around out in the countryside that uh, just thinks of the coyote as just nothing but, this should have should been on the, uh, the other side of the Mississippi like it should have been. Uh, used to, we had the foxes would take care of the, it was a natural predator, but now we don't, you know, we don't hardly see them anymore because of the coyotes. Okay, Fred, thanks a lot. I'm okay. going yeah, thank, thank to let Scott re- respond to this. Uh, sort of, a, I guess, the overall issue is, you know, natural predators versus hunting to control some of this. Yeah, hunting is, is actually a very important part of uh, uh, wildlife management. Um, uh, I, I leave a lot of the specifics to the Division of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, my expertise is in wildlife habitat, uh, particularly forest wildlife habitat. So, uh, but... The effects of uh, hunting or, or some of the effects of, of, of not enough hunting are definitely apparent on uh, forest land and, and on natural plant communities. Uh, I think one of the most obvious issues with that is uh, overpopulation of deer. Um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, a lot of effects have been seen on the state parks here in Indiana um, and uh, after controlled hunts, were uh, done, the plant communities rebounded, and a lot of the natural species were able to come back. Um, and and again, this is a this is a, a symptom of some of this imbalance that has occurred over the past uh, 150, 200 years. And and we're dealing with a lot of these issues now, and we have to deal with these issues. Uh, Tim, I want to turn to you because uh, Scott mentioned the fact that Indiana used to be 85 percent forested, and and now it's more like 20 percent forested. How have those numbers been trending? Are we becoming more forested or – I mean are, is that 85 to 20 been going steadily downward and it's continuing to go downward? Well, the the um, record on our forest cover, um, as Scott said, we were about 85 percent forested in the time when the Europeans first started settling America and – as Indiana was settled and uh, agriculture, uh, clearing for agriculture uh, took out a lot of those forests and we had a very um, uh, active forest products uh, industry um, and we reached our – I think our maximum level of clearing around the early part of the 20th century and um, 
uh, and then kind of some up, ups and downs through the first half of that century. And then since, um, since the 60s, our, our total forest land uh, cover has been increasing. Uh, but um, recent forest inventory numbers indicate that that, uh, that trend of, of increase uh, may be halting and, and going the other direction because of uh, principally land development. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, what's the reason for that? Land development by... Uh, it's uh, it's ur- urban suburban sprawl. Uh, new commercial and and residential developments are a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Scott, yeah, if I could add to what Tim said, uh, the division of natural resource, or excuse me, the Department of Natural Resources, a, f- a few years back, put out their comprehensive wildlife strategy, and in it, it detailed uh, major threats and concerns and, and, and future management and research needs uh, for all different uh, habitat types throughout the state. For the uh, – since we're talking about forest, forest here uh, and we all are, have some expertise in forests, uh, the, uh, the, the forest habitat, the number one threats associated with forest habitats were – uh, development concerns and, and fragmentation concerns from development and agriculture and loss of habitat from these sprawling uh, areas. And this is, this is something that uh, Partners of Flight, which is a, a bird conservation research organization, has identified as, as one of the top major concerns uh, for forest species, uh, not only here in Indiana, but throughout this whole central hardwood region and, and really throughout the whole east uh, as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. We're talking about Indiana's forests and, and woodlands today. So if you have questions or comments, please uh, join us on the program. Uh, Christine, I wanted to, to talk uh, again about the economic uh, economic aspects of this and, and how you decided to, to get involved in that. We are a consulting firm and we were hired to do an analysis mm-hmm. of, um, like I said, the Wayne National Forest Plan mm-hmm. um, to do an economic analysis. Um, the uh, forest plan states, and this is a requirement by law, that the net public benefits outweigh the net public costs. Mm-hmm. The forest supervisor has to make this statement when they commission a plan. And basically, we were asked to check on that. We asked to see if that's a correct statement. So we were hired. That's how we got involved. Uh-huh. So the the Wayne Wayne is a national forest, right? Correct? So mm-hmm. and um, so in that plan, you said that you you found out with that plan, or, or your your opinion of that plan is that the uh, the benefits did not outweigh the right. the costs, right? right? So go into that a little bit. Explain that a little bit to us. Um, we analyzed, I could say, basically, to give you a, a nutshell, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a nutshell, we first looked at budget costs and revenues, which is a very basic um, measure of costs and benefits. And we looked at what comes in in timber receipts, or at least we wanted to, and what it costs to produce those timber receipts. Mm-hmm. Well, the Wayne National Forest Plan does not divulge this information, Actually, that's the same for the Indiana State Forest um, Environmental Assessment. It also does not give that information. But it's been known from um, some uh, attempts. In, it was about 10 years ago. For a while, the Forest Service had to create this information and make it publicly available. They had to really show what their costs are and what they get in. And pretty much all the national forests turned out to be losing money on their timber sales. And the reason for that is that it's very expensive to prepare for and um, deal with the consequences of the timber sales. For example, there's um, road building, road maintenance, road decommissioning. Um, Then, of course, there are the timber sales themselves. There's timber stand improvements uh, dealing with invasive species that are the result of timbering, to just name a few things. And when you really do an honest accounting of the costs, those costs are higher than what the timber receipts are that are coming in. Mm-hmm. So when you look just as that, at that alone, this says there's no net benefit. Then we went into another cost category, and this is not a um, dollar cost, but it's environmental impacts. 
So there are clearly environmental impacts from logging, and they may not be as big as some other environmental impacts from other human activities, but they are negative uh, negative impacts on soil, uh, soil um, erosion, compaction, impacts on waterways, um, especially from road building. There are air pollution impacts. The the Wayne National Forest Plan as well as the state forest plan asks for a lot of burning, which impacts the air. Um, There are – one of the biggest problems with forests right now is that they are impacted by invasive species. And logging opens up more avenues for invasive species. And the EA for the state forest states clearly for a lot of species that one of the main – threats to them are invasive species. So just these alone show that there are negative environmental impacts. No net benefit here. The third big category is the impacts on ecosystem services. And those ecosystem services are um, delivered by mature, standing, intact forests for the most part. So when I'm talking about ecosystem services, these are things like um, the ability of the forest to slow down rainwater. We've had a lot of flooding here lately. Uh, Forests, intact forests, large areas of intact forests with multiple layers and and old trees in them, they slow down the rain, they filter the water, they make sure that the water is released slowly. This is an ecosystem service from forests, and economists have found a way to estimate what those services are worth. So um, the way this is measured is that you look at what it would cost to replace that service. So, for example, by building flood control measures, or you look at the damage that is avoided. And when you add up different ecosystem services and the value of them, they're huge. Mm They're like, um, I think the average is about $1,800 per acre per year. And compare that to the timber value, not even regarding the costs. It's about $250 per acre per year. So there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So these are the costs. Then when you do an economic analysis, you have to compare the benefits and the costs. So, So far we have had really big costs. And what are the supposed benefits? Again, There's a lot of parallels between the Wayne National Forest Plan and the State Forest Plan. Both claim that they want to um, help the oak hickory forest or maintain the oak hickory forest that is in danger to be taken over by maples and beeches. And we looked at the justification for that. The justification is that supposedly there has been a lack of fire and a lack of disturbance. The disturbance is the big word here. But when you look at at historically, you can see that the disturbance and the fire were heavy human intervention that happened over probably 200 years, logging and burning um, that may have favored oaks and hickories. Those oaks and hickories are now um, about 80 to 100 years old. But the time when the big interventions stopped, which was at the beginning of the, ni- of the 1900s. So they're ready to be harvested from an industry standpoint now. But if you look at what naturally would develop, it would be a more mixed forest. It has more maples and beeches in them and other species. And so basically what the Wayne National Forest Plan and the Indiana State Forest uh, Plan suggest is to maintain the heavy human intervention to maintain a forest cover that would not naturally occur. So there's no really good justification for that. The only justification that is brought out is that it supposedly benefits wildlife. Now, it doesn't matter what cover you have, it will benefit some wildlife. You can always make that claim. But from an economic point of view, you want to know whether those species that are benefited are the ones most rare, most deserving, and therefore most economically valuable to society. And where we cut with that is, well, the most scarce habitat, and therefore the species that are most endangered, 
are those that depend on large, uninterrupted forest areas, unfragmented old-growth forests. These are really, really rare, very scarce. There's practically no old-growth forest in Indiana and in other areas in the Midwest. It's an extremely rare forest type, and therefore the associated biodiversity is also rare. And um, from that, when, when you look at those supposed benefits that are really not very clear benefits and compare them with all the costs, that's how we came to the conclusion that there is no um, credible claim that benefits outweigh the costs. Okay. Now, I have two things I want to do. One mm-hmm. is I want, to, I want to give Scott a chance if he has anything he wants to add about the habitat and, and things of that nature. Um, and, um, you know, I've got some other things I want to follow up mm-hmm. with, but we have to go to the phones first. So that's, that's going to be our first <laughs> okay. thing because Andy's been very patient. Andy, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Hi, uh, hey, Christine, Andy. Tim and Scott. I'm calling from Paoli. <clears throat> I have a couple questions, one for Tim and one for Christine, and they might both want to address uh, the, the one part of this. But, uh, Tim, how much public land is there in the state, especially public forest land? And then in light of that, uh, what is the perhaps the proper role for public land. And then, Christine, in light of polling data, including polls by Purdue University and others that show anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of the public wanting public lands protected from logging, why do these, what are the, what are the perhaps perverse incentives that are in place that would cause these agencies to do something that's clearly contrary to what the public that owns these lands, uh, how they would like them managed? Okay, we should get Andy's uh, ID here because Andy's been involved with uh, with forest issues for many years. Andy Maller, Andy yes, Maller, Andy Maller Andy from, Maller. Uh, uh-huh. I'm actually associated with Hartwood, the right. organization that sponsored or uh, commissioned the study that Green Fire conducted. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks, Bob. Tim. Okay, Andy's um, question about the amount of uh, land in public ownership, about 4% of Indiana's land area is in public ownership in the form of uh, the state uh, forests, national forests, state parks, state fish and wildlife areas, nature preserves, uh, city and county parks, um, some of the Department of Defense lands. Um, So we have a very uh, small percentage of our land base in public land ownership and um, from the perspective of the Hoosier Environmental Council, we think that um, uh, given the scarcity of, of these resources, that their value is, is much greater for uh, providing um, uh, you know, functioning uh, ecosystems and outdoor recreation opportunities that, that um, aren't necessarily available elsewhere and, uh, and that the um, – uh, commercial activities, be it agriculture or industrial or um, even you know commercial logging, that those are more appropriate for our private land space. And, and right now, that's where we get most of our, our timber supply is from our private land. So uh, it's a scarce resource. Its 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 best value is uh, is for ecosystem protection and for outdoor recreation opportunities, uh, hiking, camping, fishing, hunting, picnicking, all those opportunities that that also have a, a great economic benefit to the state of Indiana. So that um, that would be our uh, uh, perspective on, on Andy's questions. Okay. Christine? Well, uh, Andy asked uh, me to address the question of um, how is it possible that you have so many people supporting um, no logging and keeping forests for ecosystem services and uh, environmental protection, but at the same time, there's ongoing logging. And we looked in the Wayne National Forest Study into the incentives that are there for the Forest Service to log, and it's very simple, really. Uh, There are two main issues. One is that there's basically an institutional bias in the Forest Service, and I assume it's the same in the state forest, that the people who um, are hired and who have most of the say, they're trained in uh, forestry, in industrial forestry. Um, And so they bring that professional bias in there. This is what they've learned to do. And uh, they think in those terms – and make plans accordingly. The second one is that 
they get money to do it. So there's basically a financial incentive to keep on doing what they're doing as long as Congress pays for it. And you can see very clearly how this works when there's money available from Congress to do something, then um, there's more incentive to do it. Um, there was a lot of there were a lot of forest fires in the West several years ago, and great concern about uh, loss of property and loss of lives. And so, uh, Congress responded by making more money available for burning. Well, um, then there rose some resistance in the West for so-called prescribed burns, which are burns that should that are done to prevent bigger forest fires, and. There was a lot of money available that couldn't be used, and that money was then made available for the eastern forests. And guess what? A lot of uh, Forest Service land and the plans for them suddenly uh, discovered that it's really important to burn because that would get more money into the coffers and would get more people employed. So we need to keep in mind that uh, – there's not there's no evil forces uh, active in the Forest Service or Indiana Forest uh, Division or whatever, but people respond to incentives. It's a very basic thing. They want to stay employed, and if they see a way to have their employment secured by something that they can convince the um, the Congress or the state legislator to do that makes sense to them, they will continue doing it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I have to ask Scott, institutional bias – the Division of Forestry? Uh, well, the Division of Forestry is uh, uh, mandated to protect forests in the state of Indiana and uh, to protect soil resources and, and, and all the, the uh, ecological services that Christina mentioned, uh, air purification and, and again, soil conservation and, and uh, my personal favorite, of course, wildlife habitat. Um, and uh, that is exactly what we do um, and as far as motivations for why we do them, uh, all the, the, the timber sale money that, that is generated off of uh, the timber harvests uh, on the state forests, uh, that money goes right back into our forest management program and the forest management program is, is uh, a comprehensive one. Uh, it uh, provides for invasive species management. It provides for uh, recreation. Uh, it provides for um, uh, road maintenance uh, to get folks into the forest so that they can enjoy that and have the and have the, uh, the pleasurable experience that we're hoping all folks have when they come to visit. Uh, we get a, we, there was uh, the question I think touched on public opinion a little bit, and uh, we uh, got a lot of great public opinion from our uh, strategic plan uh, that was out for public review just a little while back. And the, uh, it's amazing how many folks – you know, the, the great thing about that is that you get to see what people are using the forest for and forest recreation is a really big part of our state forest. Uh, and uh, it's only because the timber harvest program that we can uh, provide such a great experience for folks like that. Mm-hmm. OK. Andy, you still there? Yeah, Bob, I'd like to ask Scott a question if I could. Oh, sure. Go ahead. And I appreciate what Scott is saying because sort of reading between the lines, and forgive me, Scott, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it does sound like you're saying there are a lot of things that the public expects from these forests. The state legislature doesn't give us the money to do them. Basically, the only way we can get enough money to fulfill what we see as our larger mission is by looking at to an available revenue source, which is cutting down the trees. But that does present the problem that a lot of the public that does want to use the forest for recreation, goes to their favorite recreation area and finds a clear cut. But the question I wanted to ask you was about uh, the role um, or or the long-term planning that the Division of Forestry is doing and to what extent climate change is now being factored into management planning because we see invasive species, as you mentioned, uh, certainly a warming, uh, increased uh, pollution and particulate matter in the atmosphere which are contributing and burning programs and clearing of forest cover seem like they are counter to what long-term management uh, scenario that includes the major changes that are coming our way with a shifting climate and shifting weather patterns. Uh, we, we need to be, it seems like we need to be managing the forest to protect the largest possible pool of uh, plant and animal species rather than favoring the early successional ones or the ones that 
respond well to disturbance, which is what you get in uh, following uh, logging and logging roads. Uh, you know, the invasive species are very, very fond of the logging roads. Okay, Andy, before, uh, before I let Scott answer that, we're going to have to take a break. So if you could do me this favor and ask that question very succinctly so we'll remember as soon as we come out of the break what you want answered. I'd be glad to. You, okay. you want me to wait to do that when we come back? No, just go ahead and tell me right now. What is the... What are the long-term management implications of climate change? Okay, great. Perfect. Okay, thanks a lot, Andy. We thanks appreciate the call. All right, uh, our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu is our email address. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game musical mini quiz and movie play and opera reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times. Uh, Mary Catherine Carmichael cannot be with us today. We have three great guests, and we're talking about uh, stewardship of Indiana's woodlands. Uh, joining me in the studio are the Senior Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, Tim Maloney. Uh, the wildlife specialist in the Division of Forestry at the Indiana Department of Natural Resources, Scott Holton, and Christina Glasser, who is the and she's an economist and she's also co-founder of Greenfire Consulting, uh, which is a, a, a group that puts economic wisdom into decision making when it comes to environmental issues. Um, so, if you have questions or comments, please phone us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And I should also ask, uh, uh, thank Andy Mahler for being with us. Andy from Hartwood asked some good questions, and he left us with one about the long-term impact of climate change on forests. And Scott? Yeah, and it's not an easy one either. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel a little bit of pressure to address the issue of climate change definitively, but uh, you know, the whole comprehensive forest management is long-term management. And there was a comment earlier, some comments earlier about uh, the, the need for um, uh, public lands. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment that that's one, of the, that's one of the benefits of public land is that we have long-term uh, ownership um, and uh, because th th this management takes a while to express itself over a period of time. Climate change, uh, it's – in one way, it's what brought the oaks here thousands of years ago uh, after the ice sheets uh, pulled back. Um, warming temperatures uh, over 5,000 years ago, perhaps 10,000 years ago, uh, brought oak species back into this region um, and to where they were when uh, the first uh, – uh, Native Americans started settling in this region and, of course, uh, when the European Americans from out east started making their way out. Uh, and so on the one hand, uh, one might, if they were to take a real simplistic view, say, you know, geez, maybe it will bring more oaks here. Uh, maybe it will bring uh, more uh, pines. If we look to the south, to the uh, uh, forest types to the south of us in Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, those oak pine cover types – uh, rather than the oak hickory cover types that we have up here, perhaps they'll move more north. And at this point, um, it's frankly, it's anybody's guess. And uh, that's climate change, of course, is a relatively new and extremely 
complex and global issue that uh, um, uh, I don't think we can address as far as uh, long-term planning. Um, we uh, we try to plan ahead as far as we can, and of course the crystal ball gets pretty foggy uh, if you don't have the data to uh, to make uh, uh, statements with any confidence. Okay. Now I, I will tell you our panelists, um, both Tim and, and Christina, have a lot of things they want to say. But we have four callers now waiting to talk to us. So let's go to the first caller. It's Steve. Steve, and you've been very patient. So thanks for waiting. Well, thank you for accepting my call here. It's been very interesting, and I just want to say that. Uh, as a caller, the concept interesting. I'm a, a consulting forester myself, so I want to uh, weigh in a little bit and uh, just ask a couple questions. Um, first, a, a quick comment on the forest plan, though. I, I had a chance to look at it and review it, and um, uh, assessments before. Oh, you're cutting out, Steve. Ah, we're going to have to go away from Steve. Maybe you can call back on a landline or get a better connection. So let's go next to Dave. Dave? Hello. Hello, uh, Dave. Thank you very much for taking my call. I've got two questions. Um, you know, we've sat here and listened through this discussion, and we understand that logging costs the state money and that the overwhelming majority of the population is against this logging. Um, given all of that, do you guys, and I'm talking to the whole panel here, consider the state of Indiana to be good stewards of our forest land? And then the other question is, if they aren't, and I'm interested in leaving forest land to someone, what group would you recommend? Thank you very much. Tim, you want to start? Well, the, the disagreement um, for many people with the, the Department of Natural Resources and management of forests is over it, it, its management strategies. Um, Certainly, as a their role as a, a, a long-term owner of of the forests um, in public ownership is, uh, I think, a, a positive thing. But um, we uh, often find ourselves in disagreement over the level of management, the intensity of management, and and here particularly with the greatly increased level of logging. So. Um, uh, that is, uh, I think, a great cause for concern, and if um, uh, you know, would be something to take into account for someone who uh, is um, you know leaving forest land to to uh, another owner. So, so that would be like Sycamore Valley Land Trust, something like uh, that. Be it a private land trust, private right? Land trust. Yeah. Okay. Christina, you want to try that next? Well, I. I think I pretty much agree with what Tim said. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have much to add to it. Certainly, I don't think that the Indiana State Forest or the Hoosier National Forest are necessarily um, managed right now to the highest public benefit. That's what we uh, found out for the Wayne National Forest. By the way, we've also done work on the Hoosier National Forest before. Uh, and, Christina, before um, you go on, could, could you locate the Wayne National Forest for us? I mean, how, how much land is it and where is it? It has about 230,000 uh, acres, and it's located in the southeast part of Ohio. Okay. So it's um, – if you can picture where Athens would be, mm -hmm. it's about in that area. Okay. And how does that size compare to the Hoosier? I think they're pretty similar. Pretty the if I remember, I'm not quite sure. Does anyone know the Hoosier size? It's, right a, it's around 200,000 acres. So, yeah, they're yeah. not that far apart. And, and the, uh, the Wayne National Forest also is separated in two, three – Parts that are actually not even connected. Okay. So the Hoosier has a similar has similar patterns. Okay. All right. Do you have anything else you want to add? I'm sorry, I broke in there. Um. I, well, I, I think that possibly a, uh, a, a private uh, holder with a mission to protect the forest for the public good um, might do a better job. I don't know. That's, I haven't really thought much about that. <laughs> okay. Well, Scott. Uh, of course, I may have a biased opinion, but I do think the Division of Forestry uh, does a very good job at land stewardship. Uh, we need to put things in perspective here. We need to return the clock, clock back to the uh, 100 years ago and remember what these landscapes looked like when they were acquired by the Division of Forestry or in a lot of cases sold at, at bargain prices because uh, folks wanted to get rid of them pretty quick. They had been 
uh, grazed over incredibly heavy. They had been uh, deforested using uh, non-silvicultural methods, uh, poor, very poor, I hesitate to call them forestry practices. Uh, they had been cleared for agriculture and, and for the last hundred years, uh, the Division of Forestry has been working very hard to restore these forest lands. Um, there are uh, – uh, well, if you look at our environmental assessment, uh, there are over 138 uh, species of, of conservation need that are found or have been found within uh, our forest land um, and they find habitat. These are a lot of uh, – these forest lands uh, have very unique habitats associated with them uh, and uh, uh, it's it's – uh, I would question whether if we didn't have these forests and they weren't managed as they were for the last hundred years, if we really would have these habitats available for these for these species of wildlife that uh, are finding homes here uh, where they wouldn't be able to find home, homes elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christina? Yeah, I definitely agree with Scott that the public forests here have done a great job in restoring very much damaged land. Um, but I think one way in which we can um, make sure that the public forests are geared towards the highest benefits for society is that there is a structured public input. And with regard to the um, Indiana State Forests, uh, that's not necessarily guaranteed. Um, There is a national law, the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, that was also um, adopted in Indiana, and the the Division of Forestry has exempted itself from that. And this act makes sure that there is, if it's patterned after the national act, that there is structured public input. Now, that doesn't necessarily lead to the best results, as we can see with the the Hoosier National Forest and the Wayne National Forest, but it's better than um, exempting which the Indiana Department of um, Resources has done, the Forest Three um, Division from that, um, and therefore basically having no framework for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know if Scott wants to respond to that or not. Sure. The, uh, it's true that the Division of uh, uh, Forestry has a, a categorical, categorical exemption uh, from the need to uh, produce uh, an environmental assessment. Uh, we took the measure to do so because the, the division is, I don't want to call it a change, but it's undergoing a bit of a, a turn here. Uh, there have been, uh, there, there's a, uh, uh, I think Christina alluded to it earlier, that, that there is a, a very regional and very real concern over losses of uh, forest type uh, in very essential forest habitats. Um, and I'm talking about the oak hickory uh, cover type, which is uh, a very uh, dominant cover type throughout southern Indiana and much of the Midwest. Um, the Division of Forestry uh, is very concerned about this. This has been a, a very regional concern for decades. And uh, we are looking at our program and looking ahead to the future and making sure that we can maintain this uh, cover type, this forest type on our properties. To do so would require some uh, retooling and, and shifting uh, uh, some focus on some of our management techniques. And uh, we realized that there's a lot of concern about these, these t- techniques and uh, we wanted to make sure that people understood that we had taken a very comprehensive look at uh, the forested community, forest communities on our state forests uh, plant species and, and animal species, uh, and uh, not to mention all the other resources, uh, the, uh, the recreation resources and some of the cultural resources that we manage for as well, uh, and uh, to uh, to really take a close look at that and see if this, uh, again, for lack of a better phrase, this new direction uh, will um, uh, uh, produce long-term cumulative uh, impacts on these species. And so that's what, that's what the environmental assessment was all about. Okay. Christina, very quickly because we have four callers that want to get on. So yeah. I just know. wanted to say that and, and repeat what I said earlier that there is no um, justification really for wanting to maintain a certain forest cover. And especially if this forest cover, the Oak Hickory, has come about as 
both the Hoosier National Forest Plan, the Wayne National Forest Plan, and the Indiana EAA state has come about because of heavy human intervention. I just want to say a parallel to that would be if you had a grassy area, lawn area, which is a very unnatural occurrence, and it's only being maintained because it's always cut to the the level of like two inches of uh, size of the grass. And then you would say, oh, there are certain species associated with that, and we'll have to make sure that that is maintained. Mm-hmm. And the forests have um, a way to develop over time. Um, oak hickories are trees that naturally occur, especially in dry areas on dry ridge tops, and they will not disappear from that because that's their most preferred habitat. And so, again, I want to I make sure that to state that there is no ecological justification that I've ever seen that holds up for wanting to maintain a certain percentage of oaks and hickories. Okay. Now, Mm -hmm. Scott, one last comment on that. I know you got a lot of callers. I just wanted to throw (laughs) in that the the analogy to a a, a lawn is for somebody who – uh, I know it's extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. It's, as a wildlife ecologist, uh, if it was, I wish it was so simple as that kind of system. Yeah, These I, are incredibly complex systems, obviously, and and uh, I just wanted to to make the point that if folks are looking for more information on uh, what the the division of forestry is doing, I know we're kind of running out of time here. To go to our website, our environmental assessment, if you haven't already seen it, is posted. Uh, and there's a rather long treatise on the oak hickory issue and uh, why the division of forestry is doing what we're doing. So, okay, Tim, very quick. Well, just one comment to this is that there is a lot of um, scientific concern um, out there about uh, the oak hickory component in our forest, but but what certainly is uh, there's no um, uh, definite evidence that that such a huge increase in logging is the way to address that or to maintain whatever might be a reasonable um, uh, mix of of forest stand diversity. Okay. Well, this is a lot of give and take and and unfortunately, I have to give Scott now another chance. Not unfortunately, but just to be fair. (laughs) Well, I heard the increase and I have to to make a point. There's been a lot of of play in the press and the media and whatnot over the last few months about the, uh, the increase, the increase, the increase. Uh, however, I've yet to see anything about absolute terms. Um, uh, as a point of comparison, uh, you know, I could say that I'm 500 percent bigger than I used to be in, in 1970. But uh, you know, in 1970, I was a toddler, and now I'm an adult, and I think that puts things in perspective. It's not quite so shocking. Uh, the, the, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that, w- that the division of forestry, uh, in the 10 years uh, prior to 2004 was harvesting uh, at two-tenths of one percent of the uh, trees in the forest that were greater than 11 inches in diameter. Um, And now after such this this huge increase that we have gone through, uh, we are harvesting approximately one percent of the trees. Uh, So I have yet to see a uh, – uh, evidence of uh, 1% harvest across 150,000 plus acres of forest land, uh, how this is, is uh, uh, going to uh, create a lot of the um, uh, catastrophes that we've heard in, in regards to this okay. increase. All right. Now, as with the debate, after the next question, you can answer whatever question you want, Christina. But we have to go to Steve. So, Steve, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for coming back. Sure. Uh, real quickly, um, the, the premise of, of managing the state forest for oak hickory I find kind of interesting. Uh, about 20 years ago, I worked with a state forest pest specialist, and we did modeling on uh, the oak hickory forest, the, the forest in general, for risk to gypsy moth. Now, uh, the conclusion was that unless we managed the state forest, at that time the particular state forest we were looking at was uh, Jackson, Washington, to reduce the oak hickory component, that the forest uh, stood at a great deal of risk of loss. Uh, my question uh, for for the uh, fellow Scott over there from the uh, the DNR is more or less: uh, Have you considered the threat of gypsy moth? Uh, we've sprayed uh, within the, this past year in two locations in southern Indiana for gypsy moth. Thank you. I'll take my okay. comment there. All right. Thanks, Steve. 
Yes. Oh, definitely. The threat of gypsy moth is, is, has been a, a threat for a number of years uh, uh, and I'm not an entomologist uh, and so I can't get into it too much in detail and we don't have a lot of time. But uh, it's certainly a, a concern uh, and that's – again, forest management is a long-term endeavor. The problem here is do we not have enough oak or do we have enough oak, uh, mature oaks out there on the landscape? The, the, the problem is, is that we don't see regeneration under these stands, that we don't see the next forest underneath there. And, the, and, and I think if you put it in the context of say a, a species like the gypsy moth, which uh, could have devastating, severely devastating effects on our oak hickory forests, uh, uh, it draws into question what would the next forest look like. Um, so that, that's exactly what the division forestry is trying to do is to prepare for the long-term maintenance of this forest type. Okay. We have two minutes to go. We have two callers. Anmar, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I own 150 acres down near Williams, and I've, uh, it's all woods, and I live out here, and it's great. Um, what I've noticed, though, from the state, and I'm going to give the state kudos on this one, uh, is they actually do a management plan, and they do seek the public input. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the vast majority of, uh, of forest land in Indiana is under private ownership, and, and I've dealt with the forest products industry and, and loggers and uh, in the state foresters, and what I've noticed is that uh, the, they're really out to try and push timber, um, especially in the private industry. You don't get a lot of support for people who want to manage uh, the forest as a whole ecosystem. It's very difficult to, to find resources both from the state and on a private level to do that. Uh, I'd, I'd like the, the, uh, the panel to address that. All right. Who wants to go? Who wants to go first? Well, I could probably address part of it. Uh, Got to keep it short. Oh, geez. <laughs> but we do have district foresters, of course, that that uh, are uh, serve the public in providing uh, management uh, alternatives, and, and uh, a big part of their program is to discuss with landowners uh, objectives for wildlife that they might have on properties. And uh, so that resource is available if you haven't sought it already. Okay, we only have one minute to go, and so we're not going to get to Ladonna. I hate to, I have to apologize to LaDonna. But I have an email and I think this might be a, a short answer question. Do you all agree that for steep ravine forests of South Central Indiana that limited and selected hardwood harvesting with draft horses would be a sustainable use of that land? Anybody want to address that? Well, <laughs> maybe I'll answer it by saying uh, I'm not a forester, so I, I really uh, I can't address that. But I do know I'm originally from New England and uh, uh, draft horses certainly do have a, uh, a place in small forest woodlots. All right. We could have gone on for a long time, but we are out of time. I apologize for not getting to all the questions and all the answers that you wanted to give. But I want to thank Tim Maloney and Scott Holton and Christina Glosser for being here with us today. You guys were great. Uh, for Ar- Ariana Prothero and Engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.